You're listening to Mile 406, your mobile learning opportunity from the Montana Department of Transportation. And now your host of Mile 406. Hello, this is Scott Burnett. Welcome to our Mile 406 podcast. I'm here today with Casey Jakonski, our one of our other HROS trainers, and we're here today to talk about SCARF. So, Casey, you want to start us off? Good morning, Scott. Yes, absolutely. I'm excited to talk about SCARF today. So can you tell me a little bit about SCARF? I mean, I'm not too familiar with it. Absolutely. So SCARF is something that has been here at MDT longer than I have, which I've been here for about five years. And we had adopted it from the Neuroleadership Institute. NLI was founded by someone named David Rock, who has a doctorate in neuroscience. Uh, He actually coined the term neuroleadership. He and his wife founded Neuroleadership Institute, which is a really great, they have a really great website. There's lots of information there that anybody can can go to to take a look at. They offer classes. Um, They're all focused on how the brain works. So they're all very fascinating. And he developed SCARF in 2008. He has written over 40 books. So if you're interested in more information about SCARF specifically, if you um, don't get everything that you're looking for today, you can sure Google him really quickly and find a lot of results. Also, our MDT library has a lot of his um, books available there as well. So what is SCARF? SCARF is the story of our stressors of our lives, right? So as humans our brains really love to keep us safe and when we walk into a room we scan the situation and the brain is trying to figure out are we better than or worse than someone or something else so it's really about safety and scarf is some is an acronym for these stressors that as humans trigger us and that have either a threat response or a reward response, which we're going to talk more about. But it's really about us as humans wanting to feel safe. And a lot of that comes subconsciously. We're not just consciously walking into a room and thinking, where am I the safest? Although some people might. But for the most part, we're not doing that. And what does safety mean to us? So if I'm walking into this room and I don't know anyone, my brain's going to scan the room and I'm going to try to find someone that either seems similar enough to me or seems similar enough to someone that I think is friend, right? Friend or foe. That's what we're trying to figure out. Now, is the brain perfect at doing this? No, it is not. So the animal instinct brain is the amygdala and that's one of those things that will trigger if we don't feel safe now for the most part we're familiar with a physical threat but we don't always recognize that an emotional threat or a social threat is the same to the brain as a physical threat so the amygdala we have these three basic responses right they're survival responses so fight, flight, or freeze. And this is probably not brand new information to most people, but what we don't recognize is how these responses show up in times that we aren't actually physically threatened. Are you with you? Are you with me? Does that make sense? Are you, are you, does, that, does that resonate with you? 
I, I'm just letting you talk. I, I'm <laughs> reminded of watching uh, Dr. Nadine Burke Harris, who has a great TED talk on hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis response, which is how our brains respond to uh, the threats in our lives, but based off of what's happened to us as a child. So I'm, I'm curious how to scarf and the adverse childhood experiences work together. Absolutely. Not asking you, not asking you to go into that today because we're focusing on SCARF today, but it, it just fascinates me how our brains work. And they're absolutely connected. You're right. I've watched her talk. It's a great talk. Um, and that's exactly what it is. I mean, it's in layman's terms, just our animal instinct. And the brain doesn't know the difference between physical threat and social threat. And it doesn't ask our permission. So things might be going just fine in a conversation and suddenly we feel disrespected from the other person, whether it's intentional or not. Once we feel that, the amygdala starts to take over. The blood only flows to your prefrontal cortex or your amygdala. It doesn't do both at the same time and it doesn't ask your permission what you want to happen. We react 80 to 100 times faster than we think things through. So it's really important that we recognize what some of our triggers are. And that's really where SCARF comes into play, is recognizing where we're triggered in any given moment, because it can fluctuate for us. We aren't triggered by the same thing every single time. So recognizing that and acknowledging that we're having some sort of threat and that it can be countered by a reward. So it's not, it's not easy to do. Right? It's a lot of information. The brain is very complex. It's the most complex organ on the planet. So if we take that into consideration, yeah, that's why relationships and that's why conversations are really tricky. It's a really hard thing to understand and to really recognize when it's happening to us in that moment. Because again, once that blood starts to flow to the amygdala, we don't have as much control. I'm reminded of my cat right now. And our cat, when she was a kitten, was in a house fire and her paws got burned. She has a scar going up her neck. She was rescued by firefighters and who pulled her out of the fire. Even today, and she's 11 years old now, when you pick her up, she has a response. She does not like to be picked up. She immediately curls her paws under like she's protecting her paws. And it's that response to something she may not even remember. Absolutely. Often we don't remember. You know, we're not, it's not something conscious. The nervous system remembers things that we don't necessarily remember, and it makes that connection. So as kids, our brains are forming different connections all the time at a rapid rate. And the brain isn't totally developed until we're about 25. So we make certain connections, although they're less and less the older that we get. And by the time we're 25, our brain is pretty much developed. So once we make some kind of connection, it wants to predict the future, right? So when I think about how the brain wants to keep us safe, it's about predicting the future. Now, to my knowledge, no one is really able to do this, although some people may claim to. It hasn't been scientifically proven that that's something that anyone can do. So the brain wants to, though. It needs that to feel safe. So when we enter a situation that we haven't been in before, it's trying to make connections to something that is similar enough. 
So it may not have anything to do with that person specifically. It might have something to do with something that happened 10 years ago, but it was a very unsafe situation. And the brain says, wait a minute, I'm getting all of these red flags that this is close enough to that situation. Therefore, this will be the outcome. Now, is it always right? No, it isn't always right. But it's doing its best to form a sense of safety for us. So let's talk a little bit about what each acronym means, what each letter of the acronym means. So the S is for status, right? It's how important we are in any given situation. So it's not just about status as far as what your title is, although that absolutely can bring a sense of status. It is also about how important are we within this conversation? Am I being heard? Am I being paid attention to? Is someone listening to me? So the threat with status is anytime someone feels dismissed, uh, when they're interrupted, uh, when somebody says the complete opposite of what they've just said. So for me, status is something that's a big trigger and I have to really be aware of it. Uh, if somebody says to me, not necessarily, that is an instant trigger for me. I feel completely dismissed. I feel like they're not really paying attention or they're not hearing me out. Um, well, that's not necessarily and, true. <laughs> yeah, that, that doesn't mean that no one ever gets to say it to me. Although, yes, it does. Don't say it to me. I don't like it. No, but what actually I need to keep in mind is that just because someone says that to me, that's my own trigger. It belongs to me. People are allowed to say whatever it is that they need to say. And I just have to be aware of how I respond to it. You know, sometimes like what I just did, I might be joking around with Casey and say something like that. But she knows that I'm doing that in a jokingly manner. We've been working together long enough now that she knows that I'm not doing that to trigger her, but to joke around. So right. hopefully she doesn't take offense at this when I do something like that. Well, what's great about Skype is that once you can talk to your colleagues about it, um, it helps to, one, have a better understanding for them of where they are triggered so that you can give that reward. It also opens up a line of communication that you might not ha have had before, like the same language. You're able to use the same language. We joke around as soon as something happens, we'll say scarfed and and, you know, it's it's out of a playfulness, but yet it's also to recognize, oh, OK, wait a minute. That's maybe not the impact is maybe not matching my intent. So if there is a trigger to each one of these things, there's also a reward to each one of these things. So for status, if the threat is being dismissed, if the threat is uh, not being important, the reward would be to be heard to be acknowledged and to recognize that someone maybe isn't being, isn't feeling important. It's twofold, right? So if you're having a conversation with somebody, it's about acknowledging for yourself what's going on. It's about recognizing when someone else may be triggered, but it's also being able to say, wait a minute, this is how I'm feeling in this moment. So if I, you know, somebody says not necessarily to me or interrupts me, it's up to me to say, I understand where you're coming from. However, it's really important for me to feel heard. It's taken me a very long time to be able to say that. And in moments, I might not even say it. I might have to give it a moment 
and then come back and have a conversation after the fact. Because when I'm triggered, that fight, flight, or freeze kicks in for me, and often it's a freeze. If I'm at work, I will shut down. I will stop talking. I don't want it to become something where I'm arguing or seem argumentative. Um, so I just stop talking. I know that for myself, and that's where it's really benefited in conversations and with colleagues, like Scott was mentioning, like the fact that we can talk about these things, especially when, you know, he's only been here since January. There's a learning curve. We're getting to know each other and figuring out like how our different communication styles are and what we prefer. But so sometimes I have to admit for me, Casey, your your style of communication is somewhat different than mine. When we both took have taken the scarf self-evaluation, my my higher ups are different than yours, but also when you look at the neurocolor test, my ways of communication are vastly different as well. Casey doesn't like that argumentative where I really enjoy that. That gets me thinking that that debate for me actually is my reward for that status, being able to have that debate that that helps me where it shuts you down. So understanding that it's helped me to understand how Casey works so I can adapt myself to try to meet her needs and not cause problems. Yeah, no, I think that that's a really good way to describe it. And for me, I recognize that you're that it's not about trying to argue. It's about trying to understand. And so for me, if I think that somebody is just trying to understand what I'm saying, I'll stay in that conversation and I'll talk about it and continue to, you know, be engaged in the conversation rather than if I feel that it's an argument and it's just saying things to say things where I will just give up entirely. So I think, yeah, I think that that's a really great example. All right, so let's talk about the C in SCARF, which is certainty. So the like I said earlier, the brain is trying to predict the future. It really likes certainty. It likes to know what's gonna happen. And for some people, this is really enhanced. They really dislike any form of change. And it's really about how the brain operates. It's not so much that they don't like change, it's that they don't like the uncertainty that's connected to change. So something that I think is really interesting is that uncertainty always creates doubt and doubt always creates fear. So once somebody is in a fear state, they're unable to think things through in a productive way. They're unable to problem solve as well. They're unable to make decisions. Uh, it doesn't keep the brain engaged in the way that it needs to be engaged to be effective and productive. So the thing about certainty is when we talk about at MDT being transparent, it's not just about everybody wants to know what's going on just because they want to know what's going on. It's because it forms, a, it creates a sense of certainty. And without that is fear. So it is really important for us to be as transparent as we can possibly be and to continue to have conversations. Once we stop having conversations, people will create whatever story they need to in their heads um to feel safe and even if that story isn't true even if it isn't um helpful to them 
it's building that certainty. So it's really important for especially managers to create some form of certainty so that individuals aren't floundering and trying to create something out of maybe very little fact. So when we're talking about certain here, certainty, the first thing that popped into my head was the hierarchy of needs, looking at making sure that you had the ability to provide food, shelter, clothing, that safe environment which makes sense that you, you need to be able to be sure you're going to be able to provide this stuff for you and any of your dependents. How does that work on the emotional side of things or psychological side of things, I guess? Because you're not looking at needing to provide those physical needs. Does that make sense? Well, it could be connected to physical needs. I mean, if I am in a job where... Well, think about think back to 2018 when we went through the financial crisis because of the, all the wildfires and the fall and, and summer and fall of 2017 where we had to lay off a bunch of those people. There was always questions being asked, what's going on with this? Who's getting laid off? Who's Are we closing down this? Now, granted, I was at DPHHS at the time, and back then we had, I want to say, 76 office locations across the state. So we were closing down, I think, 12 of our OPA offices, but nobody knew which ones. Mm -hmm. And that raised a lot of fear in our employees. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I even think about us as trainers and, you know, the constant talk of, well, are they going to keep trainers? Are they not? It, it builds uncertainty on a daily basis, which is really not healthy for our brain. Like, it's really not... While when we go into work, we may feel completely safe with our surroundings. You know, some of us may, some of us may not, but let's say we do and we go in and we feel like there's no physical threat, that emotional threat of what what's going to come next and not really knowing a clear, defined goal can really make that uncertainty grow. So. That's, I mean, I think that it's also tied into our performance appraisals, right? And our and our goals that we set every year. If we have those goals, it helps to bring some certainty to what is expected of us. Expectations are a great way to form certainty. So if we talk about the threat and that uncertainty is, is directly connected to fear, and that is a threat for us as humans, we have that in common. So if we talk about what is the reward, it's bringing that certainty. Expectations is a great way to bring that certainty, to provide concrete information about, you know, where the agency is going and what we want to, how we want to be a part of that, I think is a really great way to build that certainty, which therefore helps us to use the prefrontal cortex so that we are using the brain to the best of its ability. As soon as we're too stressed, right? And I say too stressed because some, some stress is okay and we're never going to be without stress. But when we're in that threat state, that's too stressed. Now we all, it shows up differently for all of us. Right. It's not defined the same. Something that might really trigger you may not trigger me. So I might not be as stressed out as you are about a certain situation. So that's where it becomes really tricky and, and recognizing it for ourselves so that we can vocalize what our needs are. Um, you know, if there's a time when 
there's a big change is happening or, you know, a lot of people are changing positions or you're getting on new members that can build a lot of uncertainty. Now, some of that might be exciting. Some of that might be really positive, but the uncertainty can take over and outweigh the positive. So it's something that we really need to be aware of. Does that answer your question? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Terrific. All right. So we're going to move on to the A. And that is for autonomy. Uh, it is the control we have over our own story. So autonomy is so important for a lot of individuals because we like to have choices, especially as adults. Now kids have this too, but their, free, their prefrontal cortex isn't working the same, functioning the same way. So they're not able to make the same choices that we can as adults. As adults, we have gone through that growth within our brains. And so it's really important to us that we're treated as if we are able to make decisions. And when somebody comes in and makes decisions for us, we really dislike it. We really dislike it. And even if it's something that we don't necessarily hate, even if it's something that we might not even really dislike, we will automatically dislike it because somebody else told us to do it. Now, again, everybody has different levels of this. I can only speak for myself, but I'm somebody that pre-pandemic didn't have an issue with going into an office to work. I didn't, I didn't have that need to work from home. Uh, working from home for 18 months was okay with me. It took me a little bit of time to figure out a routine and, and get that situated. But once I did, it was just fine. But I don't mind being in the office. As soon as we were told, okay, this is the deadline and everyone needs to be back, I thought, mm, do I? Now I love my job. I love going, you know, I'm totally fine with going into the office. And suddenly I thought, I don't know. I It was a trigger for me. I had to recognize it and then and then work through it. But it's something that even if we want to do it, or even if we wouldn't have been inclined to not like it, as soon as we're told that we have to, we start to think, do we really have to? Is this something that, because some, if somebody else is making this decision for me, it doesn't leave us feeling like we are adults. You know, we're being treated as if we can't make certain decisions, even though we've been making decisions. So it's a very tricky position to be in. As I have let it be known, I am a huge nerd. I play Dungeons and Dragons. I have for years. There are many videos out there from uh, different professional dungeon masters who talk about what's called player agency and letting the players make decisions about the game on their own. In my current game, I I am DMing this game and one of my players, Jeff, he really doesn't like being told that he has to go do something. As soon as he's been told you have to go do this, he's like, I don't want to do it. Not doing it. I mean, he will fight tooth and nail. Mm -hmm. And I've seen that out of employees and, and certain jobs that I've had. As soon as Absolutely. you say you <laughs> have to do it, they're like, nope, stubborn as a mule. I'm not doing it. Exactly. Exactly. And it it's really interesting. And of course, we all have different levels because I've had people say, well, when I'm at work, I don't mind being told what to do. Like I need somebody to tell me what it is I'm supposed to do. And great. That's great for them. But it's something that we should be aware of because it doesn't land the same for everyone. 
And if the threat is not having choices, the reward is having choices. The reward is asking for input before a decision is actually, actually made, especially when it directly involves them. If it has a huge impact on employees and they're not given a choice and they're not even talked to about it and they aren't able to give any suggestions, it's a really, really difficult thing to do and it can kill morale. What's really interesting too is when you were talking about adverse childhood experiences, a lot of these things are so directly connected to that. And it's for all of us to determine on our own how it's connected for us. But I will say for me, growing up an only child, a Gen Xer, where I spent many, 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 many hours alone, I've been making decisions from a, a very young, young, young age. And I haven't had to rely on other people. So when it comes to work, I know that I'll have to rely on other people. I know that it's about being on a team. That doesn't mean that it's just simple for me. It doesn't mean that when I my input isn't asked or when my opinion isn't valued, that it isn't a trigger. It's instinct. It just happens so quickly that I'm not even able to recognize like, oh, okay, I know exactly where this is coming from. I have to think about it. Going back to the not necessarily, as soon as someone says that, I can picture exactly who it is uh, from years and years ago who, who said that to me on a consistent basis and just made me recognize that it was something that I disliked. Now, it doesn't have anything to do with that person who's just said it, right? So these are absolutely connected to experiences that we've already had. So let's talk about the R in SCARF, which is relatedness. Relatedness is about our fundamental need as humans to connect with each other. Now, again, that looks totally different for everyone. Uh, some people really need that connection with a lot of different individuals on a lot of different levels. Um, I think of it being very connected to introversion and extroversion. But even if you are incredibly introverted, even if you're somebody who feels like, you know, they could go off in the mountains and live on their own, my husband for sure, I uh, could go off and live on their own, there is still a need to connect. And when we're having conversations, we have a need to feel understood. So some of the biggest conflicts, some of the, you know, I mean, some of the biggest arguments that I've witnessed happening is people's inability to relate to one another, to see each other as human. It becomes me versus you, and I'm just going to prove my point, prove my point, prove my point, and you're just going to prove your point, prove your point, prove your point, and we're just talking at each other, and we don't really have that. We have this wall up that says, nope, you're not my kind of person. You don't know what I'm talking about. You don't know what you're talking about. And we just decide that that's it. And, and we're not going to relate to each other on any, on any level. And what I found in my work with conflict resolution and individuals who are really struggling to, to connect and struggling to work together is that as soon as they can find something to relate on, and it could be nothing to do with work. Right. It could be that they have the same sports team that they um, follow or they um, have the same show that they watch or they're big, 
D&D fans or whatever it is, as soon as they find that, it starts to remove the bricks from that wall, right? They start to let their guard down and start to see each other as human. So, and to recognize that it's them versus the problem and not so much them versus each other. So I'm curious, going back to this introverted versus extroverts, I mean, I being, depending on which uh, assessment you take on Myers-Briggs, I'm as, about as far over on the introversion scale as you can get in the neurocolor one. I'm as far over introvert and far down on the reserve scale as you can get, but I still want to relate to people. So I, I guess I'm curious how that, because my, my understanding that your introversion-ness is really more about how you recharge your batteries and not necessarily that don't want to interact with others because I like absolutely and uh, being an introvert I, I think that that was the point I was trying to make is that doesn't mean that you don't have a need for connection with other people everybody does it's a fundamental it's a fundamental need as humans so if you're extroverted sometimes those individuals seem to want more connections with a variety of people where with introversion, it seems to be that those individuals want to connect with individuals, um, but often it is to connect sometimes with fewer individuals on a deeper level. So this is not true. There's not a cut and dry way of looking at it where all extroversion, all extroverted people like this one way and all introverted people like this one way. It's never that simple. But as a whole, when we're looking at it, as far as generalizing, often that's how it shows up. Same as often how extroverted individuals are great with small talk and introverted uh, individuals really want deep, meaningful conversation, but they're not so great at the small talk. If somebody says to me, how are you? I'm blank. I have nothing to say because I will talk all day long about your likes, your wants, your desires out of life, you know, the meaning of life. I'll talk all day long about those certain things, but you ask me how I am and I'm like, uh, good. I don't, I, I have nothing to say. And it really, it really annoys my extroverted friends because they're like, listen, I'm just, I'm just saying, how are you? And I'm like, but you don't understand how big of a question that is. I'm laughing because I'm actually very much the same way, and I've kind of got a canned response of I'm upright with a pulse, so doing good. But right. if right. I were to actually answer that question, you'd be going, okay, I just wanted to know. <laughs> <Yeah>. Simple answer. <laughs> and that's what I mean by the relatedness. We all want it. We just want it on different levels. We want it with a different um people you know i have really close relationships with just a handful of people and i'm not great at forming relationships outside of that it's something i have to put a lot of effort into doing um there's a quote that says it's wonderful to be loved it is profound to be understood and when we talk about relatedness that's what it means to me that i can relate with you that you understand what it's like to be me and once we do that as humans we are much more likely to engage in conversations we're much more likely to want to be empathetic you know empathy is something that is really powerful and 
we need it as people. And it also is connected to our ability to listen. The more empathetic we are, the more willing we are to listen. Now, some people are really good listeners. Some people are not as great listeners. They can be better. And usually when we're at our best is when we're empathetic. All right. So let's talk about the last letter, which is F, and it stands for fairness. So we each have this need and desire for fairness. Right? We know life isn't fair, but we have a desire and an expectation that it will be fair for us and that it should be fair and that we're on a fair playing field. Now, what's really interesting is that we don't always define fair the same. I'm not here to tell anyone how they should define fair, but recognize that you could be in a conversation with somebody and agree that you're going to, whatever choices are made, whatever decisions, that it's going to be fair. And then two weeks later, you come back and you talk about, you know, how you have decided to move forward. And you're looking at each other like you're on different planets because you decided that it was going to be fair. And yet you're recognizing that the outcome does not feel fair. What's interesting is that both people could be defining fair in two different ways. So the first way is, I define fair as what's fair is fair across the board, regardless of person or circumstance. So if I allow one of my employees to do it, I allow all six of my employees to do it. The other way to define fair is I could define fair as fair is fair based on person and circumstance. So this one individual has been here longer. They have gotten more certifications. They have put in longer hours or they um, devoted themselves to an extra project, um, whatever that is. And so based on that, they are allowed to do X, Y, and Z when the other employees have not done that. So they don't, they're not allowed to go to whatever it is. It's based on person and circumstance. So for me, a way to think about fair and the difference is I think about if I'm standing in line for coffee and someone cuts in front of that line. So I have two options, right? I have an option to say, hey, wait a minute, uh-uh. You need to get to the back of the line. We've all been standing here and you need to go. That's, that's only fair. My other option may be to, be to just think, well, it's not really that big of a deal and I'll get my coffee when I get my coffee. Maybe they're in a big hurry and I'm not. And I'm not. Now, would it change it if someone who are in a wheelchair cut in front of the line. But I think, no, hey, what's fair is fair, regardless of person or circumstance, get to the back of the line. Or would I think what's fair is fair, based on person and circumstance, their life, I think, in my mind, is harder than mine, just let them go. Now, you choose, and I'm not here to say what's right or what's wrong, but it's a different way of viewing fair. Can you have both viewpoints? Yes. Based on you the can situation. Have points, depending on situation. Absolutely. I and think I think about this, go ahead. I was gonna say I think about some of the political arguments that go on that I have seen online. And right now one of the big ones is about the college tuition forgiveness, where some people don't think it's right to give that out because it's gonna cause everybody to have to pay more taxes and some people don't believe that's fair. 
some people think, hey, these people are in a bad situation and they can't repay their loans. So let's help them out. That's fair. And I see the arguments going back and forth. And that's one of the biggest ones that I see right now that I think could be related to this fairness. But would they feel the same way about another issue? Like if it was about uh, a home loan, a mortgage, something like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I was just curious how that fits in. Does it always, does a person like get into a fixed mindset on what is fair? And that's how it always is across the board. Or do they change? Yeah, that's a great point, and that's also a great example. Um, I think that both things can be true. I think people can get into a very fixed mindset. Some people have uh, the ability to see things as very right or wrong, and there is really no in-between for them. And so often, the fairness will show up the same every single time. For other individuals, it may fluctuate depending on what the topic is at hand. Uh, depending on how connected to it they are. So if they are very much that individual from the example that you just used, if they're the individual who has really struggled and who you know has really feels like they've had things really difficult, they may be more apt to think, well, it makes more sense in this circumstance because they would benefit from it. So it really it really just depends. Um, so many of these things are really based on our own experiences, right? So if you are somebody who has felt for many years that fairness has has been something that you haven't been allotted, right? If you if you feel that those cards have been stacked against you, you may have a, a serious trigger when it comes to fairness. And it may be something that is on your radar all the time. So you're always scanning it if a situation is fair or not. So it really depends on, you know, where we're coming from as individuals, how connected we are to that topic, um, how sensitive we are to it, how much we feel about it. You know, feelings, ugh, disgusting, I know. But we are human and we have feelings. And so if we feel that something is directly being unfair to us, you bet we're going to have strong feelings about it. I mean, it's one of those things that anger usually shows up as a cover-up emotion, right? So there's something deeper. So I try to recognize that if somebody is very passionate, however that shows up, it might just be excitement, it might be anger, it could look up, you know, it could show up a lot of different ways. I recognize- I think that's actually a better word for it, passionately. Passionate, yeah. Passionately yeah, I mean, may, may not be the best word. Passionately, I've I've had people in my life who were treated very unfairly, and without being angry, I've helped them out in many ways. Whether it was as a former union steward or whatnot, I've made sure I bent over backwards to help them. It's kind of why I, as a the the Moodle Roundtable, being the one of two people who manages the Moodle Roundtable, I want all of our trainers to be able to use our MDT classrooms or whatever the version is within the other agencies because I want them to be able to provide that training to all of our employees whether at MDT, DPHHS, labor and industry, I want all of our employees to get access to quality training because I think that's important for all employees and that's for me that goes into that fairness. Everybody gets it. Mm-hmm. They have that equal access to learn and so I do that passionately. 
not necessarily <laughs> aggressively. <laughs> yeah, I mean, any any form of when when anyone takes a stance, right? Regardless of what it is, when somebody takes a stance, it is usually because of one of these areas. One of the scarf areas is being triggered, and sometimes it could be in a positive way. I mean, there are times that people are really excited about, you know, that that something has happened. They've been working on it for a really long time, and now it's being available to everyone. You know, it doesn't mean that it has to be a negative. Often, it's those negatives that we don't recognize. You know, the the negatives within the brain, and when we don't feel safe, I mean, let's face it, if somebody says not necessarily to me, I'm not sitting there thinking, I feel unsafe now. Like, that's not how it works. I'm thinking I'm annoyed that they just said that to me and, and that I'm now dismissed. I have to work through that in a healthy way to say, okay, what's actually happening for me right now? If I don't feel like something is being fair, it's up to me to work through that in a healthy way to say, okay, how am I defining fair? How are they defining fair? And where's the disconnect? And is it something that we can continue to have a conversation about instead of just being annoyed at that person because, you know, they made it not fair for me? So how would a threat to fairness come out then? A how threat might it be expressed? Yes. Well, it could be expressed in a lot of different ways. I mean, if we think about fight, flight, or freeze, that individual might give up entirely. They might just say, okay, fine, whatever and leave it as this building of resentment, which is usually what happens. And um, they might say, no, this is not fair. I don't like this. If you're not willing to talk to me about it, I will talk to the next person in line. Um, I will talk to everyone around me to get them on my side. Now, should we do this? Is this the best way to use our energy and to, and to have these conversations? No, not always. But that's what we do. It, it comes back to if I'm feeling triggered by this, I want somebody to understand what it's like to be me. And so I'm going to then say, hey, wait a minute. This is unfair to me. This is going to be unfair to you. So we can rally people together. Um, they, they might just say, you know what? I'm not going to put up with it. That flight response of I'm not going to put up with this. I'm not going to deal with it. They might walk out of the meeting, they might leave MDT altogether. Um, it could show up in a lot of different ways. And if we want to build that sense of reward, are we all going to ever define fairness the same? No, no, that's not going to happen. But to recognize that it's different and then to continue to have a conversation, again, so that it's both individuals versus the problem and not them versus each other. And is there a compromise? You know, so often about it's about that question. Yeah. Thank you. So often it's the it's the unwillingness to compromise or the sense that someone else is unwilling to compromise. Does that mean that we're right every time? It doesn't. But if we believe that someone is unwilling to compromise, that's a huge roadblock and that's a threat every single time. I talk so, about in oh, no go go right ahead. I, I want you to have your time to express your your knowledge about this subject. <laughs> so I talk about it in my classes as a toward state. 
So if we are, and this is not something again that I that I coined, um, I would feel like a genius if I did, but I did not. It's also from the Nero Leadership Institute. So I'll be very clear about that. But the toward state is keeping individuals moving forward. It's so that their brain is still using their prefrontal cortex and you in using it to make sound decisions and have really good judgment and being able to stay in the conversation without disengaging. So if I'm having a conversation with Scott and I've triggered him on fairness, and a lot of times that isn't my intent, right? Like I, if we're just having a conversation and people are triggered, a lot of times it's the impact not matching the intent. So for example, stake, let's say that I'm having a conversation with Scott and I've triggered him on fairness and I'm recognizing that things were going fine and suddenly Scott's annoyed, right? Maybe his voice gets a little bit louder. He has this big booming voice. So let's say maybe that's what's happening and he's not really acting aggressive, but the demeanor has changed. It's up to me to say, okay, I want to keep this individual in a toward state. If there's a threat to fairness, let's call it out. Let's say, Scott, I just, I'm recognizing that something that I said has maybe triggered you or, or made you angry. Can we talk about it? If I said that to you, Scott, what do you think that reaction, what do you think your reaction would be? You know, honestly, I don't know. I've never had anybody say that to me. And, and it's sad, actually, when I think about that, because I have been in many arguments Again, as a former union steward, I used to have to argue all the time with managers. This was at a job a long time ago, but and it would get me so fired up and how they treated our employees. I mean, and I would be leaving some of these meetings. My face would be bright red and my blood was pumping and I'm like ready to fly off the handle there. And nobody ever once looked at me and said, hey, you seem angry. Let's talk about this. What What's going on? I don't know how I would handle that. I, I would probably be a little bit taken aback. That's fair. I think that's fair. I think I think one, we don't want to say you seem angry because we're labeling it for them and that can what? I'm not angry, you know, even when we know people are angry. Um, but to say I noticed there was a change. Right. And I want you know, is it okay if we talk through it? Asking a question builds autonomy for the other person. So once they gain a little bit of reward, uh, when the brain starts to say, okay, wait a minute, maybe this isn't as unsafe as I'm predicting it to be, we gain some understanding. And it lowers that annoyance that starts to build, that frustration that starts to come out. Um, and it does the opposite as far as a negative trigger and becomes a positive trigger. That gives me some more to think about. Scarf, mm -hmm. for me, Scarf is fairly new. So even though we've talked about this, you and I on one-on-one, -on -one, we've talked about Scarf multiple times, it is still fairly new to me. So every time I talk to you, I gain a little bit more, those little nuggets of knowledge that helps me understand it that much more. I'm still learning it all the time and recognizing you know how it shows up i'll tell you i watch tv shows or movies now and i see it all the time and it's really helpful for me to be able to recognize it in real life whether it's happening to me or, or someone else 
but here's the thing even knowing what i know and and being trying my very best to be very conscious of how i'm affected and how the words that i say land on other individuals there's not a hundred percent perfect way of doing it right practice is progress it's not perfection and so i still get hung up i will still have a conversation and i know that somebody is irritated or i know that they're becoming more and more frustrated and i don't know what to say my my mind goes blank so it's really i think that we have to be more understanding with ourselves we have to be more understanding with the people that we're working with i mean and the people that we spend time with outside of work. We're all just human and trying to figure it out as we go. Uh, so, I mean, while this information is incredibly beneficial and I've found it very empowering, I've also recognized that there's still there's still a learning curve for each one of us. Um, Scott has mentioned the SCARF assessment and you can Google SCARF assessment and uh, you can take that if you would like to. Again, this is just based on how you answer those specific questions at that specific time, it doesn't mean that that's how it shows up for you every single time. So for me, relatedness is, is lower um, on that assessment. However, there are times that I really need to relate to somebody. And something that's also interesting to think about is the more stressed we are, the more we feel disconnected, the more we feel like we are just not able to make choices, the more it piles up, the more need for reward that we have, even though we'll be running from it and we're like, no, I just don't want to engage. I just, you know, I'm just so angry about this or I just want to get the heck out of here. That's when we need it even more and we're never going to do it perfectly. So it's up to us to be able to say, you know, what I need from you at this moment is to listen. What I need from you, I, I just need to be heard. I need to say this, even though I, I, we've had this conversation, I know you disagree with me. I need to say it and I need to be heard in order to, for us to move forward. Is that okay with you? It can go yeah, along. I, I, I have to thank you on this because there have been a couple of times since I've started learning about this that I've been in discussions with people and it's been really in my personal life, not in on a professional level, but I've been talking with people and I've noticed a change in their demeanor and I've stopped and said, are you all right? And they've looked at me and they were like, uh, well, no, you said this. OK, well, let's talk about it. Yeah. Let's 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 find out what's going on. And and usually it ends up being that they didn't understand my meaning. Yes. intent the intent um, absolutely but paying attention to their responses to what i was saying it really made a big difference in saying just okay what's going on absolutely and what typically happens if we're not really aware of it and we're not paying attention the mirror neurons in our brain want to reflect what's been done to us so as soon as I feel disrespected, my instinct is to disrespect back. It's the mirror neurons in our brain. So it happens so instinctively. So it's very interesting that the more we let the subconscious take over, arguments can happen out of nothing because that initial intent 
might not at all match the impact. I say things sometimes and I know what I mean. You know, I know that I that I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but I don't know. They're they're seeing it through their own eyes, through their perspective, through their experiences, and they're connecting it to something that's close enough for them. And it may or may not have anything to do with me. So something that was a meaningless comment but landed wrong can then progress to a full-blown argument. And then further on, if that's not ever resolved, it creates real dislike. It creates where, you know, a situation where you try to avoid that person at all costs. Um, it can create a lot of hate and discontent when the intention of the comment wasn't at all how it landed. You just said a word that I'm not familiar with. I don't think I've ever heard you say it before. Something neuron. The mirror neurons in our brain. How so think about. That? Okay, so let's talk just for a minute, because you know, here's the thing. I'm not a neuroscientist. Oh, I would just impress the heck out of myself if I were. I am not. But I do research it all the time. I watch a ton of TED Talks. I'm very. I try to be as involved with NLI as I possibly can be. Um, but here's the thing, and here's from my uh, understanding and from the research that I've done. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave it at that. Uh, but think about when you are, let's say you're in a grocery store, and you pass by a baby, and you smile at the baby. Let's just pretend for a second, Scott, that you smile at babies, and you smile at this baby, and the baby smiles back. Now. It's not because that baby's thinking, oh, hey, what a nice guy. He just smiled at me. It's the mirror neurons in our brain that say, what happens to me, I will reflect back. So disrespect is one of those things that I think of often. Or respect. I mean, it goes both ways. So we say often, you know, we want to be respected and we'll give respect to those who respect us. Well, somebody has to start the respect has to come from somewhere. We can't just always expect it from everybody else first, and then if they don't do it, then we're never going to do it. But it's something that happens so automatically. So if we're having a conversation, and I don't know how uh, connected to fairness you are, and I say something that is directly against the things that you believe, and I'll say, well, just it should be just that way for every single person every single time. And it doesn't matter if they've worked for it or not. Right. Let's just say that's a huge trigger for you. And you say, wait a minute. No, I entirely disagree with you. And then go off on, you know, why I'm wrong. That is that part of your brain that is kicking in. I have just directly disrespected you, even though what I was saying in my mind had nothing to do with you. I need to so do some more research into this. This is interesting. We're up against a lot. I mean, when we think about how the brain really functions, and that's why it's important to know, because we're actually up against a lot. The brain is made to see the negative. That is, that is the purpose of the brain, because that's what it views as keeping us alive. If we're walking down a path and we see a flower, we're like, oh, pretty flower. And we just keep going and it doesn't really have an impact. If we're walking down that same path and we hear a rattle or see a snake, 
the brain kicks in, right? We've got to pay attention. We need to know, are we in danger? And what do we need to do about it? Flight, flight, or freeze. So we need to know that information. It doesn't trigger the same when it's something positive. What they know is that it takes a minimum of four positives to outweigh one negative. So if somebody says something that hurts your feelings or that makes you upset, because it happens to all of us, let's not pretend that we're robots. Uh, so I say something that hurts your feelings and makes you upset. And later, and you say, hey, I don't like that. You can't talk to me like that. And later I come back and I say, okay, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry for what I said. I shouldn't have said that. Is it one for one? No, it is not one for one. It takes at least four positives to make up for that one negative. It is not a one for one. And depending on how traumatic that one negative was, it could take a whole lot more positives to outweigh it. So if you think of it as a scale, that one for one is not balancing. I think about conversations I've had with people that over time, those little annoyances have built up. And no matter how much somebody tries to do something positive for that person who's annoyed, it's never going to matter. They've, yeah. they've been so annoyed for so long, it's going to take a lot. Absolutely. And unfortunately, a lot of the times that's why we give up. Right. And if it's a social situation, maybe it's not something that we have to continue to have a relationship with that person on any level anymore. And we can just walk away. That's a choice that we are able to make at work. It doesn't look the same. So that's why it's really important that we're willing to have some of these conversations. Now, do we need to talk about every single thing? I'm a firm believer that we don't. But if it's something that's weighing on your mind, if it's something that you think, how could they have said that to me? I feel betrayed. I feel hurt. I feel disrespected. Is it worth having a conversation? And you don't have to be best friends with everybody. That's not what it's about. But we spend so much of our lives at work. Why be miserable? And why make each other miserable? So right now, I'm going to do a shameless plug for our trainers. We have a great class called the Crucial Conversations or Critical Conversations, right? So uh, challenging conversations, so close, yes. Yes, that's that's what it is. Thank you. I, I've seen it in all three names, so sometimes I get them confused. But um, yes, we we have that class out there to help you learn those skills for having those conversations that are necessary. And so you know, contact HR if you ever want to take one of these classes. It's true. It, it matters. It makes a big difference. And recognizing how SCARF shows up is really fundamental in having these really tough conversations and providing feedback in a really purposeful way and being an effective listener. I mean, all of these classes that we have that we offer and we'll talk about how the brain is directly connected. I mean, this is just the, the foundation. But once you understand this part of it, we're able to have healthier conversations. We're able to express our own needs better. We're able to have that common language. So I agree. If, if anyone is interested, we have a lot of classes that really help to develop these skills that uh, we might feel like 
impossible. You know, it might feel very overwhelming. Like, how am I ever going to get better? I am the age that I am and, and I haven't gotten better this far or, you know, whatever it is that we tell ourselves. And the truth is that if we are willing to work on it, we are capable of getting better. I have to admit, I, I'm also a Gen Xer. I, I'm not a spring chicken anymore, but having learned a little bit about SCARF, it's actually helped me in understanding other people a little bit better and kind of taking a more thoughtful approach and how I approach some of these conversations I have. I love that, a thoughtful approach. The words we say matter. The brain doesn't know the difference between physical pain and emotional pain. So the old saying, sticks and stones, they break my bones, it's garbage. It is actual garbage, and we need to stop teaching that to each other um, because it absolutely matters. The brain doesn't know the difference. So emotional pain hurts just as much. And words do matter. And the more thoughtful we are with them, the more we recognize that they have this huge impact, the more we set ourselves up to be productive and to be healthy and create healthy relationships and healthy work environments, right? We're always talking about building a culture. This is the foundation of how we get there. And I believe that that SCARF is actually talked about in most of our classes, aren't they? I know I, I talk a little bit about it in Supervisor Compass, but only on a basic level right now since I'm still learning more about it. But I've attended some of your classes and and you go into it a lot to a lot more detail. I do talk about it really heavily. Um, I've also taken a professional coaching certification through NLI, and they talk about it uh, so much within that course, um, which was a three month. Well, actually, altogether, it was a six month course. And it's really one of those things that on, on every level of every individual, it's it's relevant. So it's not something that, you know, only affects certain people or certain professionals or, you know, certain age groups. If you're human, these are things that really can be valuable to know. Well, do you have anything else, any more insights you'd like to share? I think that something to recognize and that I remind myself of often is that it's awareness, effort, and time. So being aware of where you may be triggered, of some of these threats that are personal to you. I think about it for myself all the time, some of these things that are directly connected to me, being aware of that threat, being aware of where I feel rewarded, putting a lot of effort into recognizing that in myself, recognizing that in the people that I care about in my life, in the people that I work with, and then knowing that it takes time. It takes time to do things in a more meaningful way, to do things in a more thoughtful way. Um, it does not happen overnight. And Habit is a whole other podcast that hopefully we'll do one day. Um, and it is incredibly fascinating. But if you are trying to replace a habit, it's incredibly important to remember that it's awareness, effort, and time. And that's really what it comes down to for all of these areas of SCARF to keep someone in a toward state, to stay in a toward state yourself, awareness, effort, and time. Well, I'd, I'd like to point out again, Casey uses these in her classes. And how many classes do you teach right now? Oh, um, 
I don't have enough. I'm not sure of the number that we have available right now. Uh, I have core skills. That is a program. It's a three month program that consists of nine different classes. Um, they're all three hours long, so they're pretty short uh, in time. And um, that I do uh, throughout the entire year. I only take one month off, so it's happening all the time. So you can go to MDT Classrooms to um, sign up for that if you would like, or even just to get more information. Uh, there's also learning and development open enrollment that you can look up in MDT Classrooms as well. And that really, that is where if you just want to take one class at a time and not really have it be part of a program. So there's learning styles and email etiquette. There's uh, emotional intelligence, um, effective listening, just to name a few. So you can go on there and check them out. Thanks so much for being willing to have this conversation with me this morning. Uh, it was great talking with you. And just so that our MDT employees know, we are always available to have one-on-one -on -one conversations to help in some of these areas that they may be struggling um, or just maybe want some more information on. So you can always email us at MDTHROSTrainers. No, I said that backwards, didn't I? Nope, that's correct. MDTHROSTrainers oh, okay. <laughs> at MT.gov. <laughs> Perfect, that's it. All right, thanks. And for all of you listening, thank you for joining us today and hope you have a great rest of your day. Human Resources Training Courses can be accessed through MDT Classrooms. All information in this podcast is informational and does not supersede any policy or collective bargaining agreement. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Adventure awaits on the road.